Good morning to everybody. It is such a pleasure and such a privilege <laughs> to be here with you today. So, when I saw the bulletin, you know, it looks like, wow, today we're going to have such an amazing exposition of the word about Philippians chapter 2. Please, I apologize. We are not going to have that. <laughs> We're going to have something different. I was asked to give my personal view, to share my heart regarding missions, right? And for me, to be on mission is, as you can see on the screen, to be called to turn the world upside down. So in order for you to understand what I was asked to be here sharing with you, let me share quickly my story. So as you may know, I'm from Colombia, right? I was born in the 85. Uh, I started to follow Jesus when I was 17. I graduated as an engineer when I was 22. And looking for a boarding Bible college, I moved to Argentina when I was 24. In Argentina, I went to the Bible college at World of Life for three years. I was part of different mission trips about South America. I was called to full-time ministry. Isaiah 6, 8 was a famous verse that God used in my heart for this purpose. And in 2010, seven years ago, I started to pray for a place to serve in the majority world, Africa or Middle East. Those two places were in my heart. At that time, as you may know, I didn't speak English, so I looked for a place where to learn English. So I moved to Australia. Here I studied English for one year. I had the opportunity to go as well to the Bible College. I served with World of Life Ministries. Actually, I have been, uh, I've been serving nowadays as well. And I had the opportunity to visit Uganda in November last year. All right? So that's how I, I am considered like a servant on mission. But when you hear Aaron talking, he has been in ministry for 32 years. It's like, man, I'm, I'm just starting. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. <laughs> well, let's go back to when I was 17. When I was 17, I started to go to uni. And every single day that I went into the engineering faculty, I had to read this. Blessed are those who have dreams and are willing to pay the price so that they may, they may be reality. And, you know, it's very easy to have dreams. By the way, do you have dreams? Do you have aspirations? It's very easy. When I was 17, I had a lot of dreams, but I didn't want to pay the price. And this quote marked my heart. And then I thought about Jesus. Then I thought about Jesus. Uh, did Jesus have a dream? Can you think of a Bible verse that describes the dream of Jesus? One Bible verse. Can you give me, because you may say, yeah, Jesus had a dream. But you may think of one Bible verse that describes that dream. Well, when Jesus was praying, he said this. Remember? He was praying to the Father. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, 
Jesus had a dream, a huge dream. Now, did he pay a price? And if I ask you, did he pay a price? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Huh? The cross, right? The cross. And if I ask you to give me a passage about the cross, maybe you are thinking in many, many passages. John 3.16, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a lot of passages. Well, for me, one of the best passages that describes the price that Jesus paid is Philippians chapter 2. Because the price that Jesus paid was not only on the cross, not only on the cross. Since the very moment he came to this earth, he started to pay a price. And this passage says, Jesus being in the very nature of God, and when you think of that, Jesus being in the very nature of God, you got to jump to Colossians chapter 1 and understand who is this Jesus. And it says, for he is the image of the invisible God, the ruler over all creation. For by him all things were created. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. This is Jesus. And suddenly, when he came to earth, the one who has authority over everybody was under the authority of his parents. Suddenly, the creator of the universe, as you may know, felt tired. Right? But there is something else. You and me, we are very familiar with sin. Right? We are used to the sin of other people, our sin. So sin is something common. But for a holy God, sin is very offensive. So here we have Luke chapter 9. The disciples of Jesus are trying to cast out a demon. And they couldn't do it. And they brought the guy to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Listen to this. Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? You see, there was an emotional suffering in Jesus dealing with our unbelief. What I want to show you is that the price that Jesus paid is much more than the cross. It was his whole life. So he paid a huge price. But there is something amazing about that dream of Jesus, and is that Jesus, he shared his dream with us. And you may know these two passages because they're very common. Matthew, right, the, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples to all the nations. And also in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and of the ends of the earth. Everything that our Lord said is a commandment. Do you agree with me? Yes. But interesting enough, these two commandments were given in the familiarity of friendship. Because before Jesus said these commandments, John chapter 13, he called his disciples friends. Remember last supper? 
They were all together, and Jesus said, I'm not going to call you more my servants, but my friends. And think of something. When you have a project, maybe you are thinking to change your house. Maybe you are thinking of, you know, going to a business. What is the first thing you do when you have a project? You call your family, your friends, and you share with them. And Jesus did that with us, with his disciples. In other words, he was saying, extend my kingdom and turn the world upside down. Extend my kingdom. Now, this kingdom is a unique kingdom. And I'm going to give you just two reasons why I consider this kingdom a unique kingdom. You may find much more. But the first reason is that this kingdom changes the human heart. Right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Nobody else can change human's heart. And there is another second characteristic of this kingdom, and is that this kingdom cares for the most vulnerable. You know, when you study the history of the human beings, and the different kingdoms, and if you have read your Bible, you'll find the Babylonians, the Greek, the Romans. Every time they extend themselves, they destroy everything. Where Babylonians were smarter, and at least they spared the life of the best of the country. But the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that when it expands itself, brings hope to the needy, to the sick, to the poor. So here we have the dream of Jesus. Here we have the huge sacrifice he paid. He shared that dream with us. Extend this unique kingdom. Why should I be on mission then? Why? What is the reason to be on mission? I'm going to share with you the story of two young men. They are from Moravia. Moravia nowadays is Czech Republic. And this story took place almost 250 years ago. So please pay attention. Why should we be on mission? Two young Moravians heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had 2,000 to 3,000 slaves. And the owner had said, no preacher, no clergyman will ever stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But... He's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. 3,000 slaves from the jungles of Africa bought to an island in the, Medi- in the Atlantic and there to live and die without hearing of Christ. Two young Moravians heard about it. They sold themselves to the British planter and used the money they received from the sale for he paid no more than he would for any slave to pay their passage out to his island for he wouldn't even transport them. And as the ship left the river at Hamburg, left its pier in the river at Hamburg and was going out into the North Sea carried with the tide. The Moravians had come from Hernhut to see these two lads off in the early 20s, never to return again, for this wasn't a four-year term. They'd sold themselves into lifetime slavery, simply that as slaves they could be as Christians where these others were. The families were there weeping, for they knew they'd never see them again. And they wondered why they were going and questioned the wisdom of it. And as the gap widened and the houses had been cast off and were being curled up there on the pier, and the young boys saw the widening gap, 
One lad with his arm linked through the arm of his fellow raised his hand and shouted across the gap the last words that were heard from them. There were these. May the land that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And this became the quarrel of Moravian missions. And this is the only reason for being that the land that was slain they receive the reward of his suffering. Yes. We share the gospel and people get saved. We provide help and aid and we improve their welfare. But we are in missions so that the lamb who was slain may receive the reward of his suffering. You see, missions are not about saving men. Missions are about glorifying Jesus, who is mighty to save men. Let's pray. Father, your glory and your praise is the desire of our hearts. Oh, Jesus, we look at the price you pay for our salvation and we humble ourselves in your presence. Jesus, thank you so much. To you be the glory in heaven and on earth. And as we continue looking to what you're doing in the war in, in Uganda, Lord, help us to remember that it's not about what we do for you, but what, we, but, but what you do through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now I want to share with you what is the future of this extension of the kingdom of God in Uganda, right? And I'm doing that because, as you can read in this verse, it says, when they have come and gathered the church together, they report all that God has done with them. And many of you have shown a lot of interest. And I just hold to this time to share with you the ministry in Uganda. So please pay attention. I'm Dr. Brenda Kowalski, and my husband and I started Helping Hands Foreign Missions in 2003. The vision for Helping Hands is to minister to people physically as well as spiritually. And our ultimate vision is to make disciples of Christ. God has given us lots of opportunities since we started Helping Hands to minister in different ways. A lot of the physical ways that we minister, of course, is medical. And um, being a doctor, that's very dear to my heart. But also in third world countries, you find that, that is the greatest need. Another great need, of course, is with education. Through Helping Hands, we're able to provide educational support, tuition, and it's a great benefit. And again, it opens doors for the gospel. The Village of Eden is a great place. It really impacts the community in a lot of different ways. The biggest thing that we have is every Saturday, we have Isangalo. When we average about 1,500 children every morning and they come and they hear God's word, they have games, they get to eat, uh, which for many of them, that's their only food all Saturday is the meal that we provide, which is posho and beans. 
The other ministries that we have, we have a boarding school here where we have children that are vulnerable or that are orphans that live with us. So this is what I found over there. Of course, the first thing you find when you go to Africa is children without a father figure. Uh, we have about 55 kids, and they live, each of them, they live with a widow who takes care for them. But because there is a huge lack of male missionaries, there is no one like, able to provide this father figure. The second thing that I found is a church without a pastor. Uh, we have about, I will say, 200 people in that church in the village, and they don't have a pastor. So every Sunday they invite a different pastor from the, from the community, but that has a huge problem. Why? Because those pastors, they have a great heart and a lot of passion for Jesus, but they don't have training. So because of that, I had the opportunity when I went over there to overtook in the teaching for the last two months. What else? I found young men without a mentor. Has anybody read the book Mentor Like Jesus? Raise your hand. No? You got to read that book. It's really good. I applied the philosophy of that book to make discipleship. So I gathered a group of seven boys, right? And I just went through them for the three months through the Bible, uh, sharing meals and sharing the word of God, visiting their homes, and this is very important. I found men who had not been reached. In the east of Uganda, sadly, men are very lazy. Women, they are in charge of everything. They raise their children. They work. And men, very, very lazy. Because Helping Hands has about uh, seven mis uh, women missionaries. Uh, the women of the community... Uh, has been reached, I will say that. They have Bible study groups and a lot of activities for them, but the men have been neglected. So we had the opportunity when I went over there, by the grace of God, to have the first conference dinner for the men of the community. We shared the gospel with them, but we also talked about family planning, savings, and soft skills to get jobs. Uh, and this was something amazing. I know that the, that looks like something very common for us, but in the village, to have more than 15 men for something is a great achievement. Because as I told you, they, they even don't come to the, to the school meetings of their, their, their children. This is one of my highlights. Back in South America, the refugee world is completely unknown for us. But when I came here to Australia, God put in my heart the refugee war. And I had the opportunity to go in the north of Uganda to a South Sudanese refugee camp. As you can see in your right, the picture of your right, we went every day sharing the gospel heart by heart. And the picture at your left is something that they call crusade. And it's basically an evangelist, evangelistic reach, reach out every night. Hundreds 
of people gather together to hear the gospel. In that place, I also had the opportunity to baptize for the first time in my life. So it was, was pretty, pretty cool. I found potential. This guy here in my left, his name is Emma. Many of you get amazed when I tell you that I drive one hour to come to church, right? This guy, he walks one hour to go to church. The guy at my right is John, and he's been trained to be one of the leaders of our children programs. And look at this. They went for the discipleship course for the three months, and I challenged them to memorize the Bible. Church, for them, English is their second language. And I took them an exam. And they memorized the 13 verses almost with perfect mark. By the way, when was the last time you memorized a Bible verse? There is potential over there. And I found also hope. Why? Because in February, we have 22 teenagers committing their lives to Jesus. God is working over there. But for me, this is just the beginning. Look at this picture. This is a soccer field that we have in the community, in the property. And Africans, they love soccer. They love it. We barely use that soccer field. But it's a huge opportunity to start doing evangelistic soccer marathons. We also, we don't do an intentional evangelism in the clinic. We need someone over there sharing the gospel with the visitors. And we need also to do more visits to the surrounding villages. We need to develop a youth ministry for the church. We have, we have 70 teenagers that help us to run the, the children program. And they don't have a systematic discipleship program. Neither youth ministry. This is another thing that is in my heart. Uh, do you pray for the persecuted church? I do. And when I was there and I was about to come back to Australia, I read this news. And I couldn't believe it because according to the statistics, Uganda is 80% Christians. So I did my research and I found this. This is where Helping Hands is. Here at my right is Uganda, at my left is Kenya. And this church that was attacked is the Katira Church of Uganda. And it's just two hours far away from us by car. Just two hours. I was about to do a visit over there, but I couldn't do it. So this is something that is in my heart, in my agenda. As soon as I go back to Uganda, I'm planning to visit them and to see how can we partner and help them. We got to care for the persecuted church. There is also a huge opportunity of a church planting over Kenya. This guy worked for me for the time that I was there. He was my, my translator. The, the local language is Samia. So I, we speak in English and he translates. And we visit his village. He lives like half an hour far from the border. We walk a whole day the village and we didn't find any Christian church. So we are planning to plant with this guy a church in Kenya. And 
Three years ago, I went to a mission conference in Argentina. And I started to pray. I took this card. I started to pray for these people. Now that I went to Uganda, I found that these people is from Chad. And Chad is not that far away for Uganda. So this is a long-term project. But the earlier you start to pray, the earlier God is going to answer your prayers. So I'm planning in the future to do something to reach these people. They are a completely unreached group. I love this quote. You may be familiar with the story of William Carey. He is called the father of the modern missions. And they say, taking the gospel to the nations seems like a few men who consider going into a deep, unexplored mine. A few men hold the rope so that others can get in. Right? It's a teamwork. You cannot do it by yourself. For me, to be on missions has meant to go. First to Argentina, then to Australia, now to Africa. But maybe for you, it means to hold the rope. And how do you hold the rope? Well, you know that. Be one of the 500 people I'm asking God to support this ministry in prayer. And you say, 500, wow, that's a huge number. You know what is a huge number? I'm going to tell you something. The first thing I need is God's protection. Why? I'm going to tell you something that you, you wouldn't believe it. Uganda, the east of Uganda, is a place where children are still kidnapped to be offered in sacrifices. It's incredible. Three k's from our mission, we have a mosque. And two years ago, weapons, weapons were found in the mosque. The persecution is starting. We need God's protection. But we also need God's power. Have you heard about Charles Spurgeon? He's known as the prince of the preachers. This guy has a, such an amazing ministry. You know why? Every single time he shared the word of God, 500 people were praying for him. That's why God put that number in my heart. 500 people committing, praying for this ministry. And the other way you can hold the ropes is to partner financially with the ministry. To give you an idea, if 25 people commit with $35 per week, we cover the need, to give you an idea. So what I did, and you may have in your hands, is a simple format. And it says, just, I want to participate praying. If you want to commit to pray, I just need two things, a name and an email. Because you are going to receive a newsletter maybe each two months, right? And if you want to give, you can put your phone number, and then we go for a coffee, and we chat. And if you have questions, I'm happy to answer that. But remember, remember, all that we do is because of this. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This got to be the motto of our heart. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we, we get excited, Lord, to see what you are doing in the world. Because you are a God who is mighty to save, Lord. You care for everybody, Lord. And we love you. Father, thank you because you allow us to be part of your work. Thank you, Lord, because it's such a privilege. You take us for faithful and allow us to be part of the ministry, Lord. Father, receive all the glory and all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.